You know, New City, the church that I was the pastor of, started uh, in the late 60s uh, as a little uh, mission Sunday school in the inner city of Chattanooga. Uh, Joan and I had grown up in Newark, New Jersey, in the projects, and we were saved through this inner city church there. And in God's mercy, the Lord allowed us to go away to college, and Joan uh, got to go to Covenant College, which is the uh, college of our denomination of the Presbyterian Church in America. And uh, they had uh, some students and faculty had gone down into the inner city, started this little Sunday school. I transferred in from the school I was in, and so Joan, I was her boyfriend, so I had no choice. I had to come. And uh, uh, eventually I started preaching there, and uh, that was, we started preaching services January 11th, 1971. And from there, eventually, it grew to be a church. Uh, we went away to seminary. They called us back to be the pastor. And so last May, I stepped down from that position. And New City, in, in God's mercy, began to spin off uh, other churches. Some of that was uh, the way your church began. Santo was a student at Covenant and was part of New City. And God called him into the ministry, and he... And uh, Mayor went off to seminary, and uh, in God's mercy took them up to New York, and uh, then eventually called them here. And uh, Santo, over the years, has come back many times to Chattanooga and uh, make sure we were doing right, you know, and uh, uh, helping us uh, in, in basically bringing teams, just like teams come to you guys, uh, to do Bible clubs and things like that. And we realized that over the years, God was starting other churches like us. Some of them came right from us. Some of them came from guys who kind of visited for a while. Uh, some never visited. They just heard about the idea. And they said, that's what we want to do. And so we, we realized that churches that were in the city, that were cross-cultural, that pursued the poor, uh, that had joyful worship, and sound biblical teaching, those five things, were sort of what uh, made us alike. And uh, when we stepped down from the church uh, in May, we felt called that God wanted us to really uh, organize this thing. Now, uh, so the last couple of years we've been talking about it, but September 1st we started full time. And now, uh, as of this date, we have churches that stretch from Nairobi, Kenya to San Diego, California, Five countries, uh, over 30 congregations, about 48 different men uh, who are in uh, uh, these churches. 20 of them are church plants uh, like yours. Some of them haven't even started meeting yet, but they, are, they have a neighborhood or they're in a Bible study or they're, they're just in their initial stages. So it, it's pretty exciting stuff. And they all need money. You know, not that you guys do. You guys are flush. You you guys are doing all right. But you know, they all need money, and and some of them are in some very exciting, even dangerous places. One couple, the 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 buyers in Chicago, uh, we were visiting them, and they were telling us that you know when they've had to train their children when they hear gunfire, not to look out the window, uh, but to lie down on the floor, uh, so they don't get shot. Uh, you know, if you're familiar, Chicago's had a lot of killings. This last year. And so uh, really needy places. 
and, and doing some really great work. And we're just, we just praise God for it. We had no idea that things would get going this fast and this widespread. Uh, so one of the jobs that Joan and I have, we're trying to raise $10 million so that we would be able uh, to give uh, significant resources to these inner city church plants for up to 10 years. Because these churches don't become self-supporting in, th- in three or four years. It takes a long time. Uh, so please keep praying for us. You're part of that network. And uh, in, in many ways, you know, that horrible storm that came, in many ways has become a blessing to you guys. Because now you're getting famous, you know. Uh, New City, Atlantic City is getting known all over, especially the denomination, but even beyond. And uh, God is using you as, you know, and you're not very big, are you? But yet God is using you <coughs> in big ways. Praise God. That's, that's, that's what God does. And uh, so if, it, if, if you'll think about that for a moment, if God can use us as a little church... That means that God can use you as a little person and, and can do wonderful, amazing things through you. So please be encouraged. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. This is uh, one of the hardest chapters in the Bible, and I'm skipping the hard part. <laughs> Romans chapter 9. And this is uh, the section that we're going to read really invites us to ask some great questions. Because it itself asks questions. And so we're going to begin reading at verse 22 uh, of chapter 9. Verse 22 of chapter 9. Romans. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, Unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Well, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it 
a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, please anoint me uh, to speak your holy word, not in my strength, but in your power. And do your work of grace in each one of our hearts as you, as you have desired to do it. And we ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we got some questions to ask this morning. Some good questions that arise right from our text. And basically, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on three of them, okay? So it's like three points, which is convenient because this is a sermon. All right? So what if God chose to show his anger? That's the first question. What if God chose to show his anger? And what if God, this is the second one, what if God decided to show mercy? And the third is, well, what should be said about it? So those are the three questions that are really arise from our text, okay? What should be said about it? Now, so here the first question. What if God chose to show his anger? Now, this brings up several uh, other questions. You know, first of all, why would God want to be angry in the first place? What does he have to be angry about? And, and you know, and, and it sort of brings some other questions like, should God be angry? You know, do it, and who's he angry at? Okay, so let's, let's go over some of those basics. Has anybody noticed that there's bad stuff in the world? Okay. Uh, have you ever been angry at the bad stuff in the world? You know, the stuff that has affected you. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm typical male. I get angry at everything, you know. And, and, you know. and I look for somebody to blame, you know. I can't find my keys. I ask, who stole my keys, you know. No one stole my keys. I just misplaced them, you know. Who stole my wallet, you know. I still can't find my wallet. It's been a week now, and I don't have a wallet, you know. So someone obviously stole it. But it's probably not stolen. It's probably under my underwear somewhere, you know. But it's my fault. Um, but, you know, there are some really legitimate things to be angry about. <clears throat> Sometimes somebody you love catches cancer, you know, and you see them suffer. And you get angry that there's disease and that there's suffering in the world. And sometimes somebody does something unjust or mean to you. You know, I was down in uh, the D.C. area the other day, and this guy, I, I just stopped to turn left. And the guy, I evidently frustrated him, and he called me a bad name, okay? Well, he was mad at me, then I was mad at him. You know, I'm angry that people get angry, okay? There are some really bad, serious things, though. There's poverty. You know, there are people who go to bed hungry at night, and there are women who get raped, and there are little children who get hurt, and there are people who get robbed, 
and there are people who steal, and there are all kinds of evil things in the world. Have you figured that out? And sometimes those bad, evil things happen to really good people. People who are just trying to do their best, people who are, who are living honest, and they get robbed, and they get hurt, and you wonder why. Well, I want you to understand this, that God also is angry at the same thing. <coughs> A lot of people in the world say, well, it's his fault. And no, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God is angry because it's our fault. Because Adam and Eve, the first people, brought sin into the world. And you may say, well, it didn't seem like they did anything bad. Let me give you this illustration. Suppose, suppose maybe the army was working on a, a special di- a virus that they were going to use for the war. And they worked in a secret laboratory and they made up this disease. And they, they had it in a little capsule and they, they locked it in a safe. And they say, we're only going to use this if this is the absolute last thing we can use to fight the enemy. But don't open it. Don't open it. And they give it to you. And you're curious. And you say, what could it hurt? And you open it, and what you don't realize is you don't feel any different. Everything seems fine. But the moment you open it, the germs in there get in you. And everyone you walk around, you give those germs away. And in a short time, everybody in the world dies. Can you imagine such a thing? That is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. God told uh, Adam and Eve, do not touch this fruit. Do not eat this fruit. The day you do, you will die. And they took the fruit. They opened the capsule, as it were. And from them, every human being has been infected with sin. And you know, God is angry. Because God never meant the world to suffer the way it does. God, God created a garden. And, and everything was provided for us. But he had to put us out of the garden because we had infected it with our sin. So if you're ever angry at all the misery, suffering in the world, don't be angry at God. Be angry at us. We're the ones who brought it. And God has a right to be angry. And God does not like ugliness. He does not like injustice. He does not like poverty. He does not like war. He does not like violence. And so the Bible asks the question here, what if God decided to get angry? And what if he decided to show his wrath against the objects that were created beforehand for destruction? Now, I want you to just take a moment. Let's listen to that phrase. That's a scary phrase. That's scary. It says that God has some objects. Now, this is another word for us. It's another word for people. God has some objects prepared in advance for what? Destruction. Woo! God, what are you saying? You saying you made me to kill me? 
You made me to destroy me? You made me to send me to hell? Is, is that what you're saying? Now, now, now I'm going to answer that question in a few moments, but that's the suspense, okay? You've got to stay tuned, because this is the suspense. Then it says, how about this? Granted that God did make some people who are destined for destruction... Uh, what if there, and there are some objects who are, he's really going to lay out his anger, and he's decided to do that. He has decided to really let his anger out. Okay? It's going to happen. <coughs> Second question. What if God decided, though, to be patient? What if God decided to be patient so that he might show his mercy to those objects he prepared for mercy by not killing the people he prepared for destruction. What if God decided, even though he's going to be angry, he's also decided to show mercy and he's decided to be patient with those objects of wrath? How about that? Boy, that, that's a scary conversation. So you might sit there to say, but but how do I know which one I am? What if I'm an object destined for destruction? What if, what if I'm the one who's going to get all the anger of God for all of the mess in this world? What if he's going to finally unload it on me? I don't know, were, did many, were many of you here during the storm? Did you, did you evacuate, get out of town? Did you feel the effects of the storm? Did you feel the wind at all? I mean, were you close by? Did, did you, you know, Joan and I, we've lived in Florida sometimes, and Joan says that anytime anything bad happens, I conveniently am out of town at that time. And so several times she was there when the hurricane came and I was away. And I'm calling and, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, you can hear in the background, you know, I'm fine, you know. God spared her life. But sometimes when you feel the storm, you get a small sense of the power of God. Just a very small sense. Because everything that you see, of course, the ocean, if you go out to the beach and you look on the shore, all that ocean, God made it. God just spoke. Boom. God can pick that ocean and dump it on this land anytime he wants. But he set a boundary to protect us. By the power of his word. That's how strong he is. The hurricane was just a small taste of how powerful God can be. So what if I'm one of those objects destined for destruction? Okay. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. I got to get out of this suspense. It's, I'm nervous. Okay. Here's the answer to this question about how could God do that? How could God prepare objects meant for destruction and some objects meant for mercy? And how do I know which one I am? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, As for you, talking about all of us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit uh, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the devil. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now, now listen, watch close. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We, all of us, who are now Christians, were at one time objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Oh, did you, did you, do you get it? What I'm saying to you is in Romans it says that God has some objects of wrath destined for destruction. If, if I didn't have this verse in Ephesians, I think I would be a lot more nervous. But what God is saying is, yes, everybody who is a sinner is an object of wrath. That's your destiny. If you're not a Christian here and you say, could you, you know, if you came to me, you know, if I, maybe I dressed up like a gypsy, you know, I put some gold earrings on and, and a hat and you could come to me and I could read your palm and tell your future. And you, you know, and by the way, I'll be happy to take $5 and I will, but no, I'll give it to you free. I'll give you your future free. If you're not a Christian, I can tell you your future. You're going to go to hell. You're going to face an angry God and he's going to judge you for your sins and it's going to fall on you. That's already decided. God is mad at sin. He's going to judge it. That's the bad news, okay? Here's the good news in Ephesians. Everyone here at one time was in that situation, but God had mercy on us and we came to Jesus and that's no longer our future. I am no longer an object of wrath. I am not a clay pot that the potter has decided to throw back into the furnace or to smash into broken ceramics or to take that wet clay and smack it back on the wheel. I am an object of mercy. God decided to save me and forgive me. How did that happen? I came to Christ. Do you see what it's saying? There were people who were objects of wrath. But their future got changed. And you say, well, I thought you were a Calvinist and a Presbyterian. I am. But those things belong to God. The secret things belong to God. This is not secret. This is revealed. What is the revealed thing? Get a clue. Everybody's an object of wrath, but everybody who is a Christian was at one time an object of wrath and is now an object of mercy. And you have no idea who's going to remain an object of mercy or who's going to get the mercy until they get the mercy. Does that make sense? In other words, we preach Jesus to everybody. Because God has mercy. He offers mercy to everybody. So if you're sitting there and go, you know, at the present time, I am an object of wrath. I am an object destined for judgment. I am, an, I am a person who's going to face the anger of God. Okay, that, let's change that. Receive the mercy of God. Now I've got to move on, because get to my third question. Well, what can we say about that? Well, well, Paul here in Romans, back in Romans 9, he's got a lot more to say about mercy. 
Because it's not just personal mercy he's talking about. You know, one of the things about New City is we are a church of reconciliation, a church uh, where, where God brings different ethnic groups together. And here in Romans, it's, this is a great uh, book of reconciliation. And what does he say? Look, not only were individuals objects of wrath and left out, but whole races of people were left out. He says, basically, the way the Bible describes it, there were two groups of people. There were Jews and Gentiles. And among the Jews, the Jews were given the law, and and by the works of the law, they were trying to be righteous. But he says they failed. They were not able to, even though they attempted to be righteous, through keeping the law, they couldn't do it. They couldn't be righteous. And so they, too, were objects of wrath. He said, and then the Gentiles. That's most of us in this room, I would assume. Most Gentiles didn't even try. The Jews, at least, were trying to keep the works of the law to be righteous. They failed, but the Gentiles weren't even trying. Now, what does God say? God says, I decided... To have mercy on them both. I decided to save some of the Jews. A remnant. Who actually pursued the law by faith. Who actually sought me by faith. I decided to save them by faith. And I also decided to save Gentiles. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Black people, white people, Latino people, uh, people from all the nations. I decided to save them the same way, by faith. That if they would just believe in me, I would give them righteousness. If they would believe what Christ had done for them on the cross, I would give them the righteousness of Christ. I would wash away their sins, and I would uh, give to them, I would count to them, all the goodness of my own son Jesus, I would give it to their account. So here I am, a Gentile, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, living in the projects, had no concept of righteousness, don't desire it at all, just want my pleasure and my own happiness, pursuing my life, and and no way seeking God. God comes into that neighborhood, shares Jesus with me through people who tell me that Christ loves me, that he died on the cross for me, that I could be a son of God. And I believe one day in him. And in that moment, I get all the goodness of Jesus credited to my account. It's like one of those moments where you go to the ATM and they confuse your account. You know, you put your your card in and instead of it's your account, which is in deficit, you know, you just clicked into some millionaire's account, you know, I keep waiting for the day, it never happens, but my bank's a little too accurate, but, you know, put my card in there, and all of a sudden it says, you know, you have unlimited funds, and I don't quite know what to do with that, and that is exactly what happened when you got saved, when you came to Jesus, you got unlimited funds, you got the righteousness of Christ, you don't deserve it, you never did deserve it. Whether you're Jewish or a Gentile, you never deserved it. You got it by mercy. And so those are the questions, you know, that here Paul asks. He says, so what if God chose to show his wrath? Now, by the way, 
your answer, well, what if he did? Who could blame him? What if God decided to kill everybody in the whole world? What if God decided to bring judgment upon the entire human race? Does he have the right to do that? Now, you, you know, you and your humanness may say, no! <laughs> but you, you really don't have a say, do you? <laughs> it's just as if you had stood up against Hurricane Sandy and said, you will not come here today! Really? Who's listening to you? God who made the world has the right to judge the world. What if he did? Who could say him nay? Except himself. And so it says, what if God choosing to show his mercy and make his wrath known also decided to have patience on the objects of his wrath so that he might show mercy to the objects of his mercy? Us. Everybody who's still alive is suffering from the mercy of God because God is being patient. That means you have time. And your neighbors have time. And your family has time. And your friends have time. They have time. They're not dead yet. They have time to hear God loves them. Christ died for them. If they will repent and come to him, it will prove that they're an object of mercy. That they're not destined for destruction. So when you go home today and you drive by people and you look out and you see people on the sidewalk and you, you see people even on television who are alive, think of this, God is patient. God is patient. And you look in the mirror and you're still alive? <laughs> and if you are not yet saved, you can say this to yourself, God is patient. He's not judged me yet. That's your chance. This is the chance of the gospel. And it's the chance we need to offer the world. It is why you are here. It is why this church is here. To tell the world God is patient. He's offering you mercy. That you can have somebody who has an unlimited account of righteousness. Isn't that awesome? I thought it was pretty cool. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for loving us and even loving our neighbors and loving the drug addicts and, and loving the prostitutes and loving the gangsters, Lord, and just loving us. And I pray, Father, that instead of us reading the Bible, getting angry at you, because we don't think you're fair, that instead, God, we would have our mouth shut with the mercy that you do show every day. Father, I pray that you would give us a sense of urgency for the people around us, even for the people of this city, that we would extend the gospel to them while there is time. Because, Lord, it says here in the word, you are patient. You are waiting. Oh, Lord, save them. Use us to save them. And we ask this mercy, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Randy Neighbors, Director of MA Mercy Ministries. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.